perfect. It's always in order to give God praise. Amen. All right, so this is going to be super fun because I'm not going to be super popular when this message is over. So uh, those of you that are uh, new and you, or maybe you haven't been here in a while, we are going through uh, my favorite book of the Bible, the book of James. So if you have your Bible and you would like to follow along, you can turn over to the New Testament book of James. It's written by Jesus' younger brother. And usually when we think about people writing a book of the Bible, we think about them being Bible teachers and theologians and scholars and Maybe they were trained under uh, uh, heavy priesthoods and they went to institutions where they received a formal education. But that is not the situation with James. We call James the blue-collar scholar of the New Testament. And he grows up in a rural town, uh, much like many of you did. Uh, he, he was probably in a middle to a lower class family as far as finances were, just like many of you were. He's going to work with his daddy, learning the family business when he's a little boy. His dad's a carpenter, so he understands the meaning of hard work. And that comes out in this book. It makes its way into the theme of his book because he often addresses how we are supposed to live as believers and he uses hard work as a background. In other words, he says, when you, when you face tough times, you can't just quit because life is difficult. And, and it's always going to be difficult. So James is the kind of book that just cuts, as my grandma used to say, it cuts to the quick. It, it, gets, it gets to the meat of things without... David is real flowery when he writes the Psalms. Solomon, when he wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, they use all of these innuendos and all well, oh, the Song of Solomon. Uh, we can't even preach that in this day culture. Uh, but, but when you go, you're like, I wonder what he meant by that. You don't have to ask that with James. James gets right to the basis. He says, you're acting like a fool, quit it. That's my interpretation of James, but we'll get there in a minute. So James chapter 1, we're going to be looking at today verses 18 through 27. And we're going to talk about some practical and some personal stuff today. Probably some stuff that you would rather me not talk about. As a matter of fact, the next few weeks is going to be talking about some things you would probably rather me not talk about in church. Maybe some of you this morning, I'm, I'm banking on some of you this morning, are struggling with what we're going to talk about. And, and, and maybe, maybe you're not struggling with it, and I'm looking for you too. Because some of you aren't struggling with it because you've just surrendered to it. Some of us struggle with problems, and others of us just give in to them. And, and some of you have had this particular problem for so long, you've just surrendered to it. And if that's you, I've been praying for you this week. And I mean that sincerely. Because God wants to deliver you. God wants to heal it today. Amen? This is actually one of the most relevant messages that this generation will ever hear. It's right here in the first chapter of the book of James. This might be the most important sermon that some of you have ever heard or heard in a long, long time. Which usually means I'm not going to be well liked in about an hour. But that's okay. That's the burden I bear. God gave me big shoulders. Amen. So as we've studied the book of James so far, there's been an overall theme. I know we're only 17 verses in, but he's already taught us two things. One is, you are going to face stuff that you would rather not face. They're called trials. And he says to us in verse 2, when you meet trials of various 
kinds. These are trials from the outside. Then he taught us in verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. These are trials that come from the inside. Say outside. Say inside. Okay, so if you're not catching it from out, you're going to catch it in. This is what James has already taught us. We've only gotten 17 verses in. So we've all got trials. Somebody say everybody. Uh-huh. So we've all got trials. We are all in some kind of a struggle right now. That's why you should be kind to other people. Because you have no idea what the person sitting beside of you is enduring just to get to church on Sunday. You have absolutely no idea that person in the cubicle beside you at work, you think your life is rough, they could probably tell you stories that would curl your hair. And so we should be kind to one another because we've all got a struggle. We're all going through hardships. We are all facing difficulties. Some of us are facing physical problems. Other people are going through mental struggles. And it's easy to see somebody when they're on a crutch with a broken leg, but it's hard to see somebody's mental problems. It's hard to see somebody's emotional struggles that they deal with. And it's even tougher when somebody don't have the relationships that they wish they had. So you can't see these things. So the first question that I want to ask you this morning is this. What kind of trial are you in? Some of you are going through a big thing right now. Others of you are, are going through a lot of small things. See, some of you are wondering about quitting one job and taking another job. Some of you are wondering about selling a house and buying a house. Those are big problems. But others of you are facing a bunch of little things. And if I can be honest and transparent on a Sunday morning, I tend to do better with small, with big things and trip over my own feet when it comes to little stuff. I'll give you a for instance. I'll testify since you're so holy. God speaks to me in 2017 and says, Hey, let's just take the church and move it downtown. By the time 2019 rolls around, we had this building, uh, uh, we had this building in mind, and, and God says, it's a huge building, it's going to be a lot to maintain, people are going to get lost when you move from point A to point B, and oh, by the way, the whole place has to be renovated by you and a couple other people during a pandemic. I said, all right, let's do it. And then, I kid you not... Just a few weeks ago, I'm coming home one morning from taking Hannah to school. And to pull into my neighborhood, you practically have to stop your car to make this hairpin turn to get, come into the place. And wouldn't you know it, on this warm, sunshiny day, some fine gentleman in a rickety old pickup truck doing 100 miles an hour bearing down on me decides it was a good idea to lay on his horn gets so angry with me, he weaves out into oncoming traffic, smoking by me, laying on his horn, and gives me my least favorite finger. Yeah, apparently he keeps a bird in his car, and he decided he needed to show it to me. And while I can move a church under a pandemic and not think a thing about it, in my mind, I'm thinking about this guy. What he really needs is my right hand of fellowship. How about the people? How about the people that God puts in your life? You appreciate them, you love them, but is there anybody you got in your life that you love them immensely, but you'd also like to throw them down the stairs? Is that just me? Okay. So, 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 so we're going to take a look. 
at the next step, okay? We're going to deal with trials. We're going to learn today how to deal with trials the right way because we've all handled them incorrectly. We have all learned in a lot of different ways how to deal with things the wrong way, but James is going to teach us this morning how to deal with things the right way. So what happens is this. When there is a trial around us, it triggers emotion in us. Does that make sense? So James is saying when you, are, when you come around trials, it's going to trigger something in you. Keep that word trigger in your hip pocket. It's going to be the message that I bring this today. Our series is called Unsafe Spaces. Why? Because in our modern world today, the society has developed things that they like to call safe spaces. If you're wondering what a safe space is, it's kind of like, do you remember when you were in elementary school and you played tag at recess? Do you remember when you were on base? When you was on base, nobody could touch you. When you were on base, you were safe and nobody could make you be it. Well, whole full-grown adults in 2022 want to take base to work with them and they want to take home they want to take base to walmart with them and to pta meetings and they they want to develop this space where they don't encounter anything that upsets them that hurts their feelings or makes them feel sad and the problem is that place really doesn't exist there's no place on earth that you can control other people you can't control bad news. You can't control cars breaking down or wars beginning or your pet getting sick or how much a gallon of gas is going to cost. All of that is out of your control. So when you try to develop safe spaces where nobody ever tells you anything that hurts your itty-bitty itty-bitties, it is an unrealistic expectation of life. Amen? And here's the word of the day. When they try to develop these safe spaces where nobody hurts their feelings, and then they find out that that's not possible, and they end up with their feelings hurt, they also have a word for that. And it's called triggered. Hmm. Triggered is when you experience a strong emotional reaction to fear, shock, anger, or worry. Especially because you are made to remember something bad that has happened in the past. Now please understand something. There is real emotional trauma people go through. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that get triggered because you have a different idea than they do. That you carry a different opinion. Or God forbid they voted differently than you did. And you get triggered because they support somebody you don't support. That's what we're talking about because being triggered is an emotional response. And when you're triggered, it is difficult to think rationally. How do I know? Because I know some people. And triggered people don't think with logic. You can confront them with facts and it won't make a bit of difference to them because of this triggered effect. Here's another definition. Released, initiated, or set off. Somebody say set off. Uh-huh, we're going to talk about this the rest of the day. 
set off by a trigger. So when you get triggered, you get set off, okay? Which means you need to figure this one thing out for, for us to be effective today. What is your trigger? Every person sitting under the sound of my voice and anybody watching online, we all have a trigger. Every single one of us have some things that will make us get set off. Oh, it's just me? Uh, Y'all going to leave me up here like I'm the only one. Okay, so every person in here, and and we all have different triggers, all right? And, And some people these days, it only takes one single word to find their trigger. Hey, in 2022, it is easy to find some folks' triggers. All I got to do is say the word mask or the word jab. Oh, if that one don't get you, how about election? Oh, and if if that's not your particular, how about inflation? And everybody has a different response to those kind of words, and then there's several others. And even this book triggers people. In the day you and I live in, oh, this book is a trigger. And so, while they don't want to discount the whole book, when they get triggered by what this book says, they quote scriptures from this book. However, they only count, quote the ones that don't make them feel bad. They love Matthew 7 and 1. That has become the world's greatest message and the world's most popular sermon. Don't judge. The book says don't judge. Yeah, that's one scripture. I can show you a whole testament where God was doing a whole bunch of judging to folks. I can show you a whole lot of things that Jesus said beyond Matthew 7 and 1 about there is a judgment coming. You're right. I'm not your judge. But there is a judgment coming. And when you say things like only God can judge me, you need to quit living like he's never going to. So, so, so James chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. He chose to give birth to us. Huh. That doesn't sound fun. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. That's how he did it. So you, you heard the word, and that word caused you to be birthed. Now notice this. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, my dear Brothers and sisters, stop right there. Because now he tells us that we have had a new birth. And now James is going to go from that and start telling us about the struggle we have as new growth, or new birth Christians. Because God's not satisfied to just give you a new birth. He expects you to grow. Notice that he calls them brothers and sisters. In other words, this instruction is intended not for the world. It's intended for believers. And this is the part of the letter where James is going to start drawing a line between the believers and the pretenders. He's going to to start making the reader decide if they're really serious about following this man named Jesus. James is faith with overalls on. He preaches a working faith, an unsafe way for you to live in the world that you find yourself. Because they're not fond of our beliefs. 
And so what James is going to teach us is that faith doesn't sit around and wait for the right environment, wait for the right time. He doesn't, he doesn't wait for a, a believer that is mature, doesn't wait for God to send the right people. Because if faith is sitting around, it's not exercising and it's never growing. No, faith puts boots on and gets up and grows up and becomes mature and stops living with excuses. That's what real faith does. So this term born again sets the Christian faith apart from every other religion in the world. Muslims do not believe in being born again. People that practice new age do not believe in being born again. Buddhists and Hindus don't believe in being born again. But we as Christians believe that we are born again, and that means that the very Spirit of God makes us over into a new creature while, while we're still living with the old stuff. That's the fun part. That's the fun part, that the Holy Spirit of God, the same, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, now lives in me, and it don't like the stuff that I brought into the relationship. Any of you fellas that ever got married a little later in life, and she came in and she says, hmm, yeah, this is not going to work for me. Uh, yeah, the, all, <laughs> all these dead animals on the wall is probably not going to, Probably not the way I would have envisioned decorating this room. We might have to make a little flowery adjustments in here. Yeah, that's how the Holy Ghost feels when he comes to live inside of some of us. He moves in. He looks around at some of the way we've been decorating ourselves for the past 30 years. He says, yeah, that's not going to work for me. If I'm going to live here, we're going to have to make some adjustments. And so I, 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 let me put it to you like this. I have been in the delivery room. Obviously, I've never given birth I've been present for the process all three times when new creations were coming into the world anyone here ever make their own people yep me and her made three of our own people yeah <laughs> yeah and uh and one of the first things that you learn about a new creation after you get them home is that yes they are fully alive but they are not fully formed. Hello? They have no filter. They have no concern for you. They have no understanding of how inconvenient it is to have to do a diaper change at 2.30 a.m. They are completely self-absorbed. They are completely reactionary to everything going on around them. Somebody say amen. If they get uncomfortable, they get loud. If they get too hot, they get loud. If they get too cold, they get loud. And they don't care what time of the day it is. They want you to fix what's broke. And as newborn Christians, we are fully born into faith, but we have not yet fully formed into our faith. So this is the book of James trying to teach us it's time for us to grow up. So you're not formed fully into his image. But yet you come to church. And you raise your hands. And you learn the songs. And you try to make everybody at church believe and everybody at work believe that you got everything together. Because you know the words. You know the hymns. But then James says there are times... That the best of us don't look like somebody who's been born again. Look back at his book. 
Let's jump back into the Bible at verse 19. He tells us how easy it is for us to act like Christians. Watch how easy it is. Look, you all must be quick to listen. That's easy. Slow to speak, that's even easier. And slow to get angry. See how easy it is to act like a Christian? He says you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anybody else feel attacked? Or is it just me? (laughs) So verse 21 he says, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Verse 22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. It's going to get even easier now. Because he says you can't just listen to it. You have to do what it says. Otherwise... You're just fooling yourself. So this tells us that you can be a brand new creation, but still need to move to spiritual maturity. In other words, you've made Jesus your Savior, but have you made Him your teacher? Hello? You may know the truth about what He said, but has what He said changed the way you live? Because there is a disconnect between the two. You can attend a church like Promise of Victory, and I will give you a lot of information. You will be well informed if you come to this church, but you can still have the information and struggle to be obedient with what you know. That's why James says, don't just listen to God's Word. You have to do what it says. I told you I'm not going to be real popular here in a few minutes. It's going to get worse. Buckle in. So James brings our attention... To what looks like an immature believer. Here's what he says. You need to be slow to anger. That means when you're immature, you are quick to anger. Babies don't need much of a trigger. They get set off pretty easy because they're very selfish. And baby Christians don't need much of a trigger either. And can I just go ahead and address the elephant sitting in the sanctuary? You can be a baby Christian and have spent 50 years sitting in church pews. Length of service is no indication of growth of maturity. I wish I could get a witness. When a baby stops being a baby, it becomes something called a toddler. Now the toddler experience is a whole new experience. As soon as a young couple announces that they are about to have a baby, everybody starts giving them advice about this thing called the terrible twos. Now, I looked up why they call it the terrible twos. The Mayo Clinic website says this. The term terrible twos has long been used to describe the changes that parents often observe in two-year-old children. A parent may perceive this age as terrible because of the rapid shifts in child's moods and behaviors and the difficulty of dealing with them. Now, I've had three kids, still have one. They're always your kids, right? But we've had three that have came through the terrible twos, and none of them handled it the same. Jared handled the terrible twos. Well, about like that. He handled the terrible twos with one long tantrum. He was screaming when he went in. He was screaming when he came out. Meanwhile, when he was in his terrible twos was when we were potty training him. He practiced his potty training 
very well. He did it in the middle of a shoe store one time in the trash can. Now, now, now Hannah was a totally different experience with her terrible twos. Hannah, when she was two years old, one day she was, she was emotionally sobbing. She was wailing. I'm talking about it was one of these bawling episodes where, where she was just broken. She was crying so hard. And I asked her, I said, because I call her Bug, Hannah Bug, and I said, Bug, what's wrong with you? And she says, Daddy, it's too much. She said, I told mommy already, and I can't go through it again. I looked at this two-year-old and said, how are you a whole full-grown woman already? (laughs) And we think that stuff's normal when you're two. If you're 22 and still baptizing the trash can in the middle of the mall... There's a problem. Will you, Christian, have come through your terrible twos, or have you, and some of us having never matured past the age where we still throw tantrums, and we still act irresponsibly, and we still blame everybody else for our problems? And this, my friend, is what I came to address this morning, because James says, look, it's time for you to grow up. So we're going to look at something we call tantrum triggers in a few minutes. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Does that sound anything like the world that we live in? No, James says the worst thing you can do is be controlled by your emotions. Because here's what happens when you get emotional. You get emotional, you get triggered. So what's your trigger? You need to find out what your trigger is because someone or something sets you off. So there's an experience going on out there that changes what's going on in here. And often your default reaction is anger. Uh huh. You're frustrated, you're agitated, but all anger is not equal. all All anger is not equal because anger is a valuable tool to find out what's really important to you. Let me give you an example. You come to church every Sunday and, and, and you sit near Sister Shouts a lot. And Sister Shouts a lot has got a million watt smile. She makes you feel some kind of way when she hugs you every Sunday morning and you think she is sweet as brown sugar. And then somebody messes with one of her kids. And Sister shouts a lot, flips a switch to Sister, I will end you that fast. Uh huh. Because anger defines what we really care about, anger describes to the whole world what's important to us. And some of you will find out what your trigger is by what you preach on. What you fight against, what you, it's all right if somebody is messing with the cubs and mama bear rises up. 
But you shouldn't be getting that tore up about politics. You shouldn't be getting that tore up about who your quarterback is. You shouldn't be getting that torn up about potholes on the road because you can't do nothing about none of it. And if those things are your triggers, you have a problem. I told you I wouldn't be very popular this morning. So here's what James tells us uh, moving on to verse 23. He says anger is first something that you feel and then it manifests into something that you do. Because it causes, it comes out in the words that you speak. Listen to what he says in verse 23. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. Somebody say a mirror. Uh-huh. The word is a mirror. That's what he just said. He says if you, if you listen to the word and you don't obey it, it's like looking at your face in a mirror and you see yourself... You walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will, look at that, God will what? Bless you. God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Lord, help us. So that's the context in James chapter 1. What is your trigger that leads you to unhealthy anger? Because there is healthy anger. We'll get to that in a, little bit, in a little bit deeper in a moment. But what's your trigger for unhealthy anger? I'm going to give you four examples, okay? Maybe one of these is yours. Number one, the trigger of, I'm kind of a big deal. In other words, don't you know who I am? This is a trigger that manifests itself in a lot of marriages. Because the husband thinks everybody's supposed to bow down. I'm pataphamilia. I'm the boss around here. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the word says? I was reading, I was reading a story of Booker T. Washington not long ago. Most of you probably are familiar with Booker T. Washington. And, and, and there was something amazing that happened. Uh, it was amazing to me. I was reading the story. It, most people wouldn't even catch on to what, uh, what I'm, I'm going to talk about. But Booker T. Washington had become very, very famous. You have to understand, this is a time of segregation. This is a time when, when, when black men just would not have had the, 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 the ability to do what it was he was doing. He was packing out cathedrals speaking to people he was going to churches and and, and to, to missions and places of of, of big big uh, uh, importance and packing the place out because he was so eloquent and he, and he was just so in, wise and so intelligent and he was doing this in a time when it was not a popular he was not in T.D. Jakes' Potter's House Church okay he was doing it at a time when segregation was still a very real thing but he becomes so popular with the words that he spoke that he was packing out this hotel, uh, and, and he was staying in the hotel while he was preaching at the church next door. He was there for four days, and every day it was standing room only. And one day he was in the lobby preparing for his speech, and a woman saw him standing in the lobby. Because of the times that he lived in, they assumed, she assumed, he was a servant. So she came to him and she said, hey, I, I need a glass of water. And Booker T. Washington did what most people wouldn't do. 
He refused to play the card of, don't you know who I am? He went and got her a glass of water. And the book I was reading said he came back to her when he handed it to her. He says, here, ma'am, it was my pleasure to serve you. Is there anything else I can do for you? She didn't know who she was talking to, and he refused to play the I'm going to pull rank card. What a giant of a man. Listen, a giant of a man don't have to tell everybody he's a giant. Amen. So, So when you're a husband, you don't have to tell your wife and your kids that you are the man. They'll know it by the way you carry yourself, the way that you talk to them, the way you love them, the way you support them. You don't have to beat somebody into submission, and that can be your trigger. The second trigger that I find a lot in the world today is what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. This is selfishness. Let me give you a real-world example, especially if you're here, you're young, and you've never been married. I'm just prophesying into your future, okay? Because you don't realize how selfish you are until you have to share everything. Like a sink. On Sunday when you're trying to get ready for church. And you realize, I used to have all this room around this sink. This man has put razors and stubbles. and What's he shaving in here? A bear? A bear? You don't realize how selfish you are until you walk into a closet and you're like, my God, all my boots are gone. Where did all these shoes come from? You don't realize how selfish you are until you have to start sharing life with another person because marriage is two selfish people trying to serve Jesus and learning how to live together and not kill each other. That's what marriage is. And then you add children. And all the parents laugh and all the single people are like, what? I don't understand. Again, I'm prophesying into your future. Because what kids will do is, they'll do a lot of stupid stuff that will frustrate you to the end of the earth. Amen? And your level of frustration should depend on the answer to this question. Did they commit a sin or did they make a mistake? Because this leads us to the next trigger. And I call this one the Barney Fife rule. You remember Barney, don't you? Poor old Barney. Could never get nothing right, right? His intentions was good, but he always messed up everything, right? I mean, even the town drunk Otis had more sense than Barney. And he was drunk all the time. Barney had good intentions, but he was constantly getting in his own way. Here's a fact of life. Hear this if you don't hear nothing else I preached this morning. People mess up I hope you receive that with gladness today because have you ever noticed how bent out of shape we get about other people's mistakes but we don't really talk about our own too much now God gets upset over sin but can I tell you that mistakes is what human beings do and mistakes is how human beings learn and grow and none of us gets it right the first time And if you're always upset at other humans because they are making mistakes, you are setting yourself up to be triggered all the time. Because newsflash, we all make mistakes and you are creating an environment that is never going to allow you to be happy because you're being triggered by something that they can't help. It's called being human. 
And they can't help that they're not perfect. And just so you know, kids are going to spill their drink. Kids are going to wake up in the middle of the night because they wet their bed. And they're going to come wake you up and climb into your bed. And then they're going to wet your bed. And these things just happen. And unless it's a planned, orchestrated attack against you, and sometimes it might be. But if it's not, it's just mistakes. And you can't be triggered over other humans being human. And finally, and this is the most deadly one, and this is where I'm going to spend the rest of my time with you. The fourth trigger is, how dare you? How, and I capitalize, D-A-R-E-Y-O-U. How dare you? This is the trigger that I see more, more and more as the days go on. This is bitterness and resentment. This is, I can't believe you did X, Y, and Z. And this is the most unhealthy anger because it comes out and manifests in bitterness and unforgiveness. Now let me ask you this. Does God ever get angry? He does. He does. And, and so if God gets angry, it's okay for me to sometimes be angry. So let me, let me define something for you. If you're always angry, you're not like God. But if you're never angry, you're also not like God. Because while God is capable of anger, He has to be pushed into anger. Some of you push yourselves. Let me take a minute to tell you about the angry God that I used to think we all served. Because I came up in the old holiness church. And when I was a young Christian, they taught me God was mad all the time. About everything. My image of God was He sat on the edge of a throne with a fistful of lightning bolts just waiting for me to step out of line. But the truth about God is, He's a loving God. Who knew? Who knew that even though I made mistakes, He doesn't strike me and smite me and smoke me and destroy me. Who knew He was a, such a loving God? And you need to really push God to agitate Him. That's what I find in His Word. Now this is good news for us, but it should also be a good example for us. Because if God is slow to anger then what right do we have going off so easily? Hello? Oh, it's getting quiet. I told you I wouldn't be popular today. So what happens is when you get emotional, you lose two things. You ready? You lose your temper and control of your lips. Usually at the same time. Jesus said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in other words, the words that come out are exposing exactly what used to be hidden inside of you. So when you get angry, does anybody ever get angry, or am I in the wrong church? Okay, I got three of you. Thanks for being honest. The rest of you liars can come and repent when service is over. So, so when you get angry, your first response to anger, is it flesh or spirit? It's flesh. I'll answer that for you. And, and I, don't know, I don't know with you, but with me... It seems like the flesh shows up a long time before the spirit does. Like, like, I'm talking about it seems like the flesh runs all the red lights. While the spirit is just taking its good old time, stopping at every courtesy uh, intersection and just taking its... Because sometimes my first reaction is, I will tell you something about yourself you don't know. 
And the problem that we live with today is that we have something I didn't have when I was a kid, and it's called technology. And technology lets angry people that are triggered trigger other people that are also angry. And it escalates everybody's anger at an unbelievably fast rate. Remember when you were young and there was no such thing as the internet? Do you remember that if you didn't watch the news, you could just stay dumb and happy? Wasn't it glorious to be dumb and happy? Uh, seriously, wasn't it glorious that if you didn't want to find out what was going on outside of your neighborhood, you didn't have to? But now everything gets piped into your pocket. And by the way, media is not your friend. Their entire goal is to multiply anger. Because the more angry people get, the more they interact with their websites. The more they watch on the television. So they're trying to generate revenue by infuriating you. So they will only report the most heinous and awful and deplorable things that they know is going to get the most amount of people angry in the shortest amount of times. And they emotionally abuse us for their own profits. And that's the world we live in. Today it's hard to avoid bad news. Because we get the rage of the day broadcast right into our devices. What are we going to be mad about today? Is it going to be inflation or is it going to be gas prices? Did somebody say something about a group of people that I support? Is that what we're going to be? Yahoo News, tell me what I'm going to be mad about today. The problem is we're consulting that about the rage instead of consulting this about the joy. And we have forgot how to serve the Lord with gladness. Because listen to me, the world you're living in today is exactly the opposite of what James says. James says... Slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. Online, it's the opposite of that. It's slow to, sp- slow to listen, if ever. Quick to type, tweet, post, and be angry before you ever read. James says, when you get angry, get care- be careful because your lips get loose. Now, I'm not accusing any of you of being impetuous, but I'm going to tell you that some of the stupidest stuff that's ever came out of my face has been because I got mad, and I spoke out of an angry heart. Uh-huh. So, so, so the problem with technology is it's instant and it's constant. So something happens, you get triggered, and instantaneously you can communicate and trigger other people. So you hit sin. And then you're like, oh no, unsin, 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 unsin. Hey, if you want a million-dollar idea, invent an unsend button. Everybody's going to buy it, okay? In the day and age we live in, everybody's talking, nobody's listening. Hello? When did we stop listening and just start trying to talk over each other? Because we don't listen to other viewpoints anymore. We just try to shout louder than the other person. And, by the way, we've gotten to the point where we don't listen to words anyway. You're not going to convince me that you're listening to me when your face is in a phone talking to somebody else that ain't right there. If we're going to go to lunch and you're going to sit across from me and talk to folk that ain't there, you're not going to convince me you're engaged in the conversation that we're having in front of each other. We don't value people's conversations and time anymore. So the next time you're online and you're about to give the world a piece of your mind, first of all, you better consider this. Some of us ain't got none to spare. So you should be giving pieces of it away. 
But before you start sounding off online the next time, remember James. And even though you're triggered and you're angry and emotional, stop for a moment and ask yourself this question. Do I want to prove a point or do I want to make a difference? Because winning an argument can cost you your witness. And hear me, Jesus never called you to win arguments. He commanded you to win souls. James says that we should ask, okay God, my first impulse is usually wrong. So what should I be thinking and what should I be saying and what should I be doing? And it's fine to study the Bible, but James says you should also let the Bible study you. Because a lot of folks come to church to get Bible information, but not have any transformation. And James, James gives this analogy. He said the Bible rightly understood is like a mirror. And I'm supposed to look into it and let it look into me. And when I look into it, I'll see, okay, I made a mistake here. I crossed the line there. I, I did this backwards from God's plan. This was not the way God intended for me to live my life. That's what the mirror of the Word's supposed to do. But religious folks refuse to use it as a mirror, and instead they want to use it as a telescope. And they want to see, oh, I see where you messed up, and I see you did that wrong, and you drive 10 miles under the speed limit. And you kicked your dog. And you miss two weeks straight of church. I'm always here at church. And instead of using it as a mirror to see their own reflection, they're constantly using it as a telescope to see your problems. And this is the same attitude that hung Jesus on the cross. Because religious people used Scripture to justify murdering Jesus. They quoted Scripture to kill God and, and enjoyed doing it because it was the religious right thing to do. And it all started because Jesus triggered them and they got angry. Uh, so what he's saying here is, You've got a trigger, and you need to find out what it is. So to close this morning's message, I want to take you to the Old Testament. And I'm going to share some scriptures with you, okay? I'm going to, I'm going to build this. 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you're wanting to follow along or if you're making notes, 1 Samuel chapter 18. This is, this is the story of David when he's in between his promotion, and where he had always been. He knew what God planned for him, but he wasn't there yet. He's serving Saul. I mean, David, it's good to be David at this point. Because, listen, David has been, he's a giant slayer. He's got a reputation. He can play the harp. He's been anointed to be the next king. He's going to take Saul's place. He, he, he is going to be the man. But right now, he don't even have the responsibility of being the man. It's good to be David right now. However, while he was successful in one area, he's called a man after God's own heart. He's killed Goliath. But his problem started when he went back into the city and a whole group of women 
started following David into the streets. And they're singing a song. And that song that they sang about David became a trigger for Saul. Uh, okay, so, so we're on the same page. King Saul didn't like this song very much. And it triggered him. 1 Samuel 18 verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. Who'd they come to meet? The King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Who'd they come out to meet? King Saul. But this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. And David, his ten thousands. I thought they came out to meet Saul. They came out to meet Saul to sing about David. And this was a trigger for the king. You have to understand, King Saul, when he was anointed king, he was head and shoulders taller than every other man in Israel. This is a big dude. He's a strapping fella. I mean, he's, he's muscly. He's, he's, he's broad-shouldered. He's got that, that iron jaw. He, he, he's a man's man. And he, he's jealous. Somebody say he's in trouble. Because jealousy is as cruel as the grave. And, 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 and he, he just found his trigger. See, some of you don't know where your trigger is. Jealousy, emotional problems will expose your triggers. Listen to what verse 8 says. This made Saul very angry. What is this, he said? They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next they'll be making him their king. I underlined this next verse, verse 9. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. He never got over it. One trigger, he never got past it. From that time on, he stayed jealous. Look at this next point. This is Saul's trigger. When anger is your response to emotions, sin will be your response to anger. See, 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 when anger is your response to your emotions, whether it's jealousy, whether it's lust, whatever it is, whether it's hatred, when, when, when you have a trigger that's emotional and you allow anger to follow it, sin is inevitably going to follow. And the Bible says in, in verse 10, And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came on Saul and he prophesied inside the house. Pay, pay attention to this. Do you have that scripture? Um, it's New King James Version, verse 10. He came with a, a spirit came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. Stay with me. There's a distressing spirit on God, or from God, from Saul. And David played music with his hand. And Saul's got his hand on a spear. And verse 11 says, And suddenly he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. 
But David escaped him twice. Saul is taking out on David what's going on on the inside of him. He is lashing out at the closest available target because he is tormented on the inside. That lady in front of you doing 10 miles under the speed limit is not your problem. Stop yelling at her. Do you realize you have a problem if a Prius can make you scream and cuss for 27 straight minutes? That is not her issue. That is your issue. Hello. So when he threw the spear, David had a choice to make. Because the Bible says the spear stuck in the wall. And we know David's got good aim. Ask Goliath how his aim is. The Bible says Saul chucked the spear at David. David got out of the way and the spear stuck in the wall. And immediately David has a choice to make. Do I respond? Do I respond? (laughs) Or do I keep my hand on my harp? (laughs) See, 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 when he threw the spear, David had to make up his mind. Do I grab the spear and throw it back? In order for me to do that, I have to take my hand off of this harp. And David didn't throw it back. He ducked. He didn't lift a finger. He didn't get triggered. We know that David has good aim. But And do you know how hard it is not to fight back when you have the opportunity? No, some of you don't know because you always fight back. But David is our example here this morning. Because Saul kept his hand on a spear. That means he was always ready for war. David kept his on a harp because he was always ready to praise. I want if anybody in this room is always ready to give God a praise when the enemy is throwing fiery darts in your direction. Because you have an opportunity to fight back doesn't mean you should take it. If your posture is always to war, your first instinct is always going to be to fight. And Saul wanted to fight, but David held on to his praise. And when Saul has a spear, and all David has is a harp, it almost seems like David is outmanned. Unless, because Saul has a weapon, and David has a harp, it seems like David is at a disadvantage. Unless, unless his praise is a weapon. (laughs) Unless, unless when you are being attacked, your praise (laughs) is a weapon. (laughs) And you don't have to fight back with the same darts that they threw at you because if you keep your hands on your praise if you if you keep your hands in an atmosphere of worship you know you don't have to pull a, a dart out of the wall 
Because the Bible says in the book of Psalms that if I praise God, God will step down off of his balcony in heaven and step onto the battlefield and he'll fight my battles. I don't even have to fight on my behalf. All I have to do is worship God because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I don't have to fight back. I don't have to retaliate. I don't have to throw darts. Look at your neighbor and say, don't fight back. Don't fight back. No, no, no. You've got something better than a dart. You've got something better than a javelin. And if you know how to praise the Lord, I wonder if there's any worshipers in this house that knows how to praise. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it's tough, but I'm going to praise Him. Yes, I've been struggling, but I'm going to praise Him. Yeah, I've been going through hell, but I'm going, I'm going to praise the Lord. When the fight comes, don't throw it back. Don't throw it back. Get off of Facebook. Close the app and don't throw it back. You were made for praising. You were made to worship the Bible says you were created for his glory and everything that you do should be bringing him that glory almighty God come into this place this morning with great power this is an opportunity for us oh Lord to lay aside the, the weights that doth so easily beset us move in a direction of praise I wonder if there's any worshipers in the house that have decided I'm not throwing it back. I'm not throwing it back. I'm, d- I'm, done. I'm done arguing the arguments of this world. I'm done trying to fight about government and politics and inflation. I'm going to praise. I'm done trying to fight the culture wars. I'm going to praise. I'm weary of fighting over what's going on in this society. I'm just going to praise. I wonder if some of you that are going to go home to this afternoon and face hell in that house. If you have the ability right now to say, I'm not throwing it back anymore. The enemy's throwing his darts at me. I'm not throwing it back anymore. I'm going to keep my hand on my harp and I'm going to keep my my mouth open to praise. Don't throw it back. Hold on to your praise. Hold on to your praise. I'm going to ask every person in this room if you're physically able, stand to your feet. And if you're able to, to lift your hands in worship. I just feel a I just feel a praise in the house. I just feel a praise in the house.